Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The longest ever government shutdown and the flawed and troubled presidency of Donald Trump, both symptoms of something far deeper, a breakdown in Washington, our government crisis. Philip K. Howard. People in a hundred years will look at how we tried to organize our society and, and they'll make fun of us. You can't, you can't have a rule for every incident in life. What I'm arguing is that we can't actually repair the system that we built in the last 50 years because it's been built up on a premise that guarantees failure and alienation, which is not to allow humans to use their common sense. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Welcome to our podcast. Jim is away this week, reporting a story for the New York Times Magazine. Our guest is Philip K. Howard. Philip was, in fact, our first guest nearly four years ago when we were putting together pilot podcasts for How Do We Fix It back in 2015. Welcome back to our table. It's great to be with you again, Richard. Philip K. Howard is the author of several books, including the bestseller, The Death of Common Sense, How Law is Suffocating America, and Try Common Sense, Replacing Failed Ideologies of Left and Right, is his latest. Philip is also the founder of Common Good, a nonprofit group, with this mission statement, simplify government, put humans back in charge, and cut mindless red tape. So, Philip, first, before we discuss what should be done with government, let's start with the latest fiasco, which is the government shutdown. Is there a deeper message in in the current mess? (laughs) Well, the shutdown is a symptom of the political breakdown, not not a bureaucratic failure. It's an example of the degeneration into puerile politics where Donald Trump has decided to to make a kind of showcase out of uh, a campaign uh, yeah, promise, yeah, 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 a campaign promise for what has to be a priority that's ranked about number ten thousand on the problems to solve in this country, and it's it's an example of how far removed Washington is from actually solving problems. But the villain of the piece here is Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. What's the worst problem with government today? I think the worst problem is this kind of sense of alienation 
that citizens have from government. People no longer feel it's their government. And that's why they are supporting extremist candidates on both sides. Um, and and I think that's due to the fact that um, really almost without our noticing uh, when it happened, the kind of the growth of this kind of bureaucratic kudzu since the 1960s has made it uh, impossible for people to make practical and fair choices in their in their daily lives. You mentioned the growth of the bureaucratic kudzu since the 1960s. What's different now? Then, say, in 1965, when Lyndon Johnson was talking about the Great Society and Medicare was born. Oh, completely different. You know, in 1965, we didn't have thousand-page rule books. We didn't have um, uh, the, the dense bureaucracy. We had a governing, by and large, by goals. Um, the interstate highway system, for example, was was authorized in a 29-page statute in 1956, and nine years later, over 20,000 miles had been built. Uh, today, uh, the the statute would be, well, the most recent statute was about 500 pages long, and it would be a decade before there were any permits given. <laughs> so we got this idea after the 60s that we could solve the problems of human fallibility by just telling everybody how to do everything. And that's where all the rule books came from. So why did this happen? I mean, what all of a sudden changed in the 1960s about our approach to to government? Oh, a lot changed. I mean, we woke up to the abuses of racism, then pollution, then gender discrimination, lies about the Vietnam War, locking up disabled children in the you know, in horrible places like Willowbrook. And, and, and those are all very real problems. Those are real problems, and they required changes in our social values and required new laws. That's all good. But the experts at the time said, not only do we want to change our values, and so, for example, to prohibit discrimination, but we also want to avoid any bad values in the future. And so the, they got this idea. It was actually an explicit legal philosophy that, that we would start writing rules to tell people exactly how to do things. As if fairness, for example, could be dictated like the protocols on an assembly line. Did our schools, did our legal system change at the same time? Yes, it was a change in our legal system. That, that, that's what happened. We, we went from a legal system where we had goals and norms and allocated responsibility to people and then had other people have the responsibility to hold them accountable, you know, a traditional democratic hierarchy. We went from that and we overlaid onto it what became thousand-page rule books in schools and hospitals and throughout our lives. How do we compare with other countries? We have a lot of listeners to how do we fix it, say, in Australia or in, in Britain or Canada. Well, it's interesting. Uh, other countries uh, have suffered from this disease to an extent, uh, and it depends on the country, but not nearly to the extent that America. You know, America is America. We do everything full bore. I mean, very few other countries have thousand-page rule books. Uh, the UK has worker safety laws that focus in regimes that really focus on unsafe workplaces. They actually use their judgment and say, "Well, where are the accidents happening?" and go try to fix them. They don't give you a ticket if your paperwork is not in order for 
filling, you know, for some required by some thick rule book. The in 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 Australia, uh, they they had they developed a lot of rules for nursing homes over the years, and somebody had the bright idea, maybe a decade after that. This we're talking in the late eighties now to replace all the rules with a few principles, in that, that case, 31 general principles. Well, so, basically, and those principles are, are they safe? Are people being looked after? Yes, you, know, you, you must have a home-like environment. You must respect the dignity of the residents. And the, some of the experts scoffed. They said, oh, these nursing homes will get away with murder. You know, they'll just interpret it however they want. Well, within a year, the nursing homes were twice as good. And by having a goal-oriented structure, they they ended up having discussions focusing on how to make things better. And so all the stakeholders would come together, the families of the residents, the residents themselves, the the regulator and the nursing home operator, and they would sit around a table, imagine that, and actually talk about how can we make this nursing home better? And they became better. And so what you're advocating in Try Common Sense and your other books as well is radical, isn't it? I yeah, mean, this, yeah. Is a, this is a big change. Yes, and so what I'm arguing is that we can't actually repair the system that we've built in the last 50 years. And the reason we can't repair it is because it's been built up on a premise that guarantees failure and alienation, which is not to allow humans to use their common sense, you know, not to let people use their judgment and then be accountable for how they do. So it needs to be replaced, this whole massive Amazon, you know, Amazonian jungle of of bureaucracy needs to be replaced by radically simpler structures that give people jobs and give other people the jobs of holding them accountable and arguing with them. And that's uh, argument is good for democracy. It's not just government, is it? I mean, I, I was really struck. I've just rented a car for an upcoming trip in Europe and, and the rules and conditions were so simple and short compared to what I would be forced to read or, or not read in a rental car contract here. Yes. People in a hundred years will look at how we tried to organize our society and and they'll make fun of us. You can't you can't have a rule for every incident in life. I mean, we haven't quite gotten to the point where we say workplaces must have oxygen available for people to breathe. But it's almost there. I mean, there's a rule that says stairwells shall be illuminated by natural or artificial light. I mean, how else can they be lit? For skeptics, for people who think, I'm not convinced by this argument, let's walk through a couple of examples, starting with a simple case, um, Indian Ladder Farms, which is a fairly small business, a family-owned apple orchard in upstate New York. What sort of regulations does that family <laughs> farm face? There's a wonderful feature in the New York Times on this last year. I, I mean, thousands of rules. I mean, rules, that, for example, you must cover the apples after they've been picked uh, and they've been put in a cart. You must put a cover on them when they're going to the barn to protect them against droppings from birds. No, so, no, wait a, wait a minute. They've been on the tree for months. For five months. And right, they growing. haven't had a cover then. It's so absurd. As the guy who runs the farm said, it's like there's some people sitting there in front of a computer making stuff up. That's absolutely right. There was another uh, requirement that that you had to go around and check for 
mouse and deer droppings each morning. Well, you can't do that in orchard of hundreds of acres. I mean, there's, it's in nature. You know, there are animals in nature. It's, it's part goes with the territory. And so they've figured out another way to deal with that. But produce can be poisoned. We've had fairly alarming cases of, say, E. coli contamination of lettuce. So how do you deal with something like that without having thousands of pages of rules and code? <laughs> you focus on the goals. So there are, there are some protocols, depending on the kind of uh, produce we're talking about. There are protocols that are important. In the case of apples, it's important to wash them. So washing probably takes care of, of most of the problems. Uh, and then if there does happen to be an outbreak somewhere, then you want, you know, we have investigators to go out and figure out where, where it was and the source of it and try to eliminate that from happening. Law doesn't create a perfect society. Contract laws don't prevent people from cheating on contracts. It provides a mechanism for holding them accountable. But I'm not a deregulation guy. I'm not just for letting the marketplace take care of things. I believe in government oversight over clean apples and, and, uh, and unsafe foods. It makes us all freer to feel co- reasonably comfortable that when, you, when we go to the grocery store, the food uh, that we buy will not be adulterated. But thousands of rules do not do that focusing on a few important protocols and then having inspections in the places where there are likely to be problems does that. In the case of Indian ladder orchards, um, that New York Times report said there were 13 clipboards in the office (laughs) for all the different regulations this small business is facing. Yeah, and then right in the middle of the picking season, uh, the regulators swarm in and they demand all this paperwork. Well, they don't have a back office. It's not J.P. Morgan Chase or something where they have a group of people whose job it is to do the paperwork. So the members of the family all have to then take time off from picking the apples and spend a week putting together all these reports. They'd never had a problem at the farm before. There was no indication that something was wrong. Uh, filling the reports, and then at the end of it all, all they found that was that one uh, immigrant worker who was supposed to be only picking apples had also done a few assignments at their retail stand. We're speaking with Philip K. Howard. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. Jim is away this week. And coming up, uh, we'll look more at solutions for the problems of government. Philip K. Howard's latest book is called Try Common Sense. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's look at another example, and this involves the zero-tolerance policy put in place by the Trump administration for immigrants crossing the border, families being separated from their children. It seems like there were a lot of problems, not only with the policy, but the way it was applied, which led to a a great deal of suffering. Right. Zero tolerance is zero judgment. I mean, that's what it means. And it's incredibly stupid. It's as stupid as school discipline, and it's really stupid when it comes to families crossing the border illegally. Which is worse, a family crossing the border illegally, which they're not supposed to do, or the United States government taking away small children from their mothers for weeks on end and putting them in the care of people they've never seen before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... What's worse? I mean, attempting to cross the border without proper documents or or completely ripping families apart. Yeah, there's no moral argument for for doing it this way. You can detain the families. You can um, send them back to where they're from, um, depending on what the policy is. But 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 you shouldn't rip them apart. And then it was exacerbated by all these other legal idiocies. So the the a doctor who was head of the American Academy of Pediatrics decided she would go to one of these detention centers where children were kept. And she noticed a, uh, a two-year-old who'd been separated from her parents who was crying and screaming in, um, in a corner somewhere. And a um, caregiver, uh, somebody paid by the United States government to take care of the children, was sitting there talking with her, but not comforting this, this child. So... Uh, the the doctor asked, well, why don't you pick the child up and, you know, comfort it? And she said, the rules say that I'm not allowed to touch the child. Wow. Because, because of potential legal ramifications if somebody claims it was an unwanted touching. So here you have this child crying and screaming, needs some, some comforting by a caring adult, and the adult, because of this stupid rule, is not allowed to do that. You've been writing about the need to apply common sense, to simplify government. What have you learned oh, well, in, 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 in more recently since you started your organization, Common Good? Well, I wrote this book because in 2017, I was on Trump's CEO council helping do infrastructure. I was testifying before Congress on a regular basis. And at the end of the year, I realized that the parties not hadn't changed the way they were doing business, notwithstanding the clearest possible indication by the American voters that they were fed up with Washington. They voted for Donald Trump, for God's sake, and another 25% voted for Bernie Sanders. So here you have the clearest possible signal of voter discontent with Washington, and they hadn't changed. They're just pointing fingers. And by the way... Neither Democrats nor Republicans. Neither Democrats nor Republicans. And by the way, they're making out just fine. Polarization fills up the coffers. The people who hate Trump give money to the Democratic Party. The people who like Trump or, or don't like Elizabeth Warren you know, give a lot of money to the Republicans. And so we're in this death spiral of a political culture where the parties seem to think it's fine. What I argue in this book is that neither party is going to fix this problem. We're going to have to start a new movement, not with a laundry list of reforms, but with basic principles. And the first principle is you've got to give back to individuals, real people, 
the responsibility to do a job, and you've got to liberate other people to actually judge how they do. So a new political movement or party is required. Completely. So let's look at what's wrong first with the, with the Democratic Party and the way that it uh, it deals with government. I think if the Democrats is the party of paralysis, you know, they have all these goals that I agree with, including uh, stewardship for the future of climate change and dealing with income stagnation and such. Um, but their interest groups have their claws into the status quo. Public unions make teach schools and government virtually unmanageable. The trial lawyers, this kind of kind of lottery theory of justice makes everybody go through the day looking over their shoulders. For example, the, the lady who wouldn't pick up the crying child, that's all because of lawsuits. It's all because nobody will defend that person if there's a lawsuit. They'll have to go through years of litigation. So the, the Democratic kind of ideology of you have to have a trial before you hold somebody accountable. You have the right to, quote, right to due process. Wait a minute. What about the rights of the students to have a teacher who's any good? <laughs> right. You know, as, you, so, so they are the, the Democrats have become sort of the party of paralysis. And the Republicans. Oh, the Republicans, kind of the party of greed. They uh, advocate absolutist solutions, no new taxes, blanket deregulation. Republicans are supposed to be the party of responsibility. With incredibly irresponsible positions where we're running a trillion dollar deficit or something like that, and and we're not paying for it. So our grand our children are going to pay for it, and so um, libertarians, I I agree, and you know my whole all my books are about uh, the importance of human responsibility and having liberating people to do things on their own, but libertarianism is not a theory of governing; it's a theory of not governing. You still have to make public choices. You have to. You need traffic cops. Otherwise, you'll have gridlock. Uh, you need uh, oversight over clean water. Otherwise, people will feel insecure and in they about what they're drinking, you know, in the water and, and clean food and and you know effective pharmaceuticals and the like. So, the the more interdependent a society gets, the more you need government oversight. And we also live in a global economy, too. Yeah, and, and, you know, so do the toys have lead paint? You don't know. They were made in Malaysia. So Republicans are right that regulation is stupid. They're wrong that the solution is deregulation. The solution is to go back to what the framers gave us, which is to have human humans take responsibility and in a democracy to hold them accountable for how they're doing. That's how you look at any school that works. Look at any government agency, the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta. It's brilliant. It's a fantastic job. You know, it has a great culture. How does it work? It doesn't work by people walking around with their noses in rule books. It works because people go there and they roll up their sleeves and they take responsibility. Well, how could that be? How could the CDC be working when so many other agencies aren't? Don't they have thousands of pages of rules? Uh, basically, no. And if they do, they ignore them. And if you look at any government agency that works, there have actually been studies of this through schools, the, they find that the people in charge basically ignore the rules. They um, adhere to the spirit of the rules. I'm old enough to remember Al Gore in the Clinton administration being put in charge of reinventing government. I mean, this whole idea that government needs to be simplified and needs to work better has been a, a, a subject of concern for a while. Why did those efforts so manifestly fail? 
Well, I worked with uh, Vice President Gore on that and wrote the introduction to his book on it. The Reinventing Government Initiative actually had a lot of success in some internal uh, uh, government administration issues, sort of simplifying some of the procurement rules, for example. So just for nuts and bolts things, like literally going out and buying office supplies, no longer do you have to go through some formal process. They just give the people a credit card and they go to Staples and buy some paper. Um, So there are things that they improved. Um, Ultimately, they did not want to take on the civil service system so that if you're going to give officials more responsibility to decide what's fair or practical, you have to be able to hold those people accountable if they do a bad job or they're on the take or whatever. And the civil service system, as currently constructed, does not allow for accountability. You don't need thick rule books if you accept um, the need for a human, an official, to take responsibility to be practical in the circumstances. And and then what you focus on is what the goals are and what the account checks and balances are, you know, the accountability. And that's your fundamental argument, isn't it, when yeah. it comes to solutions and making, making government work better? R- right. Human agency is critical. And it's critical not only to make government work better, but far more important to make Americans feel that their views matter. If you have goals, let's say a goal of effective schools, that doesn't tell the local uh, town in eastern Kentucky where I grew up how to run the schools. It means there might be somebody looking at it to make sure you don't have terrible schools, but, but it's not telling you how to do it. So what that means is the people in that little town can actually innovate and figure out how to do things themselves and get the citizens more involved and give people more of a sense of ownership of how they run schools or social services or anything else. When you have thousand page rule books, it's not just that it's a rule book. It's, it's like a central tyrant, you know, rules are the ultimate dictator and even worse, you can't yell at them. (laughs) So the cure to alienation is ownership. Give people more of a sense of ownership. It doesn't mean they can do whatever they want. It doesn't mean they can teach creationism or whatever. You can still have oversight of what they do. But let them try to do it their own way. It's more fun, and it gives them a sense of meaning and dignity. Philip K. Howard, thanks very much for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Great to be with you, Richard. This is How Do We Fix It, the weekly solutions journalism podcast. Jim is away this week. He will be back next time. Our producer, Miranda Schaefer, makes us sound better every week. We are a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for clients, design formats, and do interview and media coaching. Find out more at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.